welcome to the Platform Podcast, where we talk to coaches, athletes, experts, and real people to learn about their approaches to training, nutrition, mindset, and much more. I'm your host, Jordan Kundi-Wright, founder and head coach of the Twin Cities Kettlebell Club, and I'm on a mission to help others build sustainable, healthy lifestyles. Before we jump into the episode, I want to remind you that registration is open for the second annual Twin Cities Kettlebell Open on October 22nd, hosted by our friends at the Athlete Lab in Little Canada, Minnesota. And just as we did last year, we'll be including options for video submissions for participants who are unable to make the trip in person. We'll be eligible for all of the same prizes as our in-person competitors. Just go to our website, TwinCitiesKettlebellClub.com for details. In this week's episode, I welcome in Mandy Grace. She is a kettlebell athlete, a lifelong curling competitor, a former tight five rugby player, dog mom to Loki, and a personal trainer in training. Um, and we have a great conversation, get into a lot of different topics. She drops a lot of knowledge about curling. We also talk a bunch about kettlebell sport and just how being an athlete in general applies um, you know, uh, across the range of disciplines that she has been successful in. So I really hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. And as always, um, I want to say that I'm incredibly grateful that you listen to the podcast. Best way you could support me is to go register for the Twin Cities Kettlebell Open and maybe tell a friend or two. Just go to our website, TwinCitiesKettlebellClub.com for details. And of course, if you haven't already, please be sure to leave a rating and review of the platform podcast in your app of choice uh, and particularly on iTunes. And of course, you can support my work by supporting our sponsors whose affiliate links you will find in the episode notes. And last but not least, if you want help reaching your goals without wasting time, please go fill out the coaching interest form linked in the show notes. Uh, I help athletes of all levels reach their goals without wasting time using my integrated coaching approach. And of course, you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Twin Cities Kettlebell Club, or email me at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub at gmail.com. Now, without further ado, let's step onto the platform with Mandy Grace. All right, welcome into this week's episode of the Platform Podcast. My guest this week is Mandy Grace. If you don't know Mandy, you should because she is an all-around kick-ass athlete. She is a curler from Canada. She is a kettlebell enthusiast. She won't go so far as to call herself a kettlebell athlete, but she's also an excellent former rugby player, as many guests on the podcast have been. So Mandy, thank you so much for joining us on the Platform Podcast. Thank you from having me for having me. I feel like a little bit of a stereotype, a curler from Canada. Well, you know, that's all right. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's kind of some, I think, climate requirements, aren't there, to really get into to get into curling? I mean, there's no, is there like a Mexican curling team or like a South American curling team? Like you kind of have to have a cold climate, don't you? Yeah, not that I'm aware of. We definitely have a little bit of a, um, you know, seasonal advantage there. We do have, we do have curling here in Minnesota too. There's, there's kind of a, there's kind of a thing here in the twin cities that the curling is kind of a big deal here. There's several curling clubs in the twin cities. So you are home to a, well, it's a native Minnesota, Ian, Minnesotan, 
Minnesotan, sure. Yeah, so Minnesotan. Sure. Um, who oh, yeah. made the Olympics this month? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we've got we've got a bunch we've got a bunch of uh, we've actually got a bunch of Minnesotans in the Winter Olympics this this year. There's a uh, there's the person who just uh, just took silver in cross country skiing is from Minnesota. One of the ladies on the uh, U.S. U.S. hockey team, U.S. women's hockey team, is actually from my town, Vadness Vadness Heights, uh, which is adjacent to Little Canada, of right. course, as as everybody knows. Um, she was she was actually the one who rang the the shot off the side of the cage, uh, right at the start of the game that would have given the U.S. a one a one zero lead, um, but uh, we won't talk too much about that because it's still a little painful. But I'm just I'm just glad that uh, the guys in the in the chat didn't take me up on my side bet offer to do burpees uh, for whoever won or lost that game because. Because nobody responded. Boris apparently was afraid and uh, didn't respond. So nobody ended up uh, having to do burpees or I didn't end up having to do burpees for betting on the US. So I feel I feel okay about that. If there's one thing I've learned in the kettlebell group chat that we are both a part of um, or have been adopted into, <laughs> it never make a bet that involves burpees. Uh, I, I, I would take that a step further and just say never make a bet period because it's always going to be awful <laughs> if you lose it's pretty much always going to be awful poor tim for poor tim had to do the merkel the merkel and long cycle pyramid uh, a couple a couple of weeks ago so it's always going to be awful and you're always going to have an audience of people watching you while it's awful yeah yeah it's it's always like it's it's never like money or anything like no it's always public humiliation and pain it's <laughs> We are all kettlebell athletes or enthusiasts and, you know, we all like a little bit of pain. Yeah. You have to be a little bit of a masochist to be a kettlebell sport person and to be in that group. So it does, it does track. It's, it's very on brand for us. So, so how, how did you get into kettlebell sport? So kettlebell sport and I stumbled on each other um, through a boot camp at Good Life about about a decade ago, I guess. I so for the Americans, what is Good Life? Because to me, that sounds like a church. Good Life is um, one of our biggest fitness chains in Canada. Um, it's the one that you'll find in pretty much every city in town. Uh, I don't know what the equivalent for Americans would be, um, but it's your typical big box gym. So it was close to home. I worked out there anyway, and I saw a poster on the wall for a kettlebell boot camp. Um, and I thought, oh, that sounds fun. So I signed up. It was, was a six-week, two times a week boot camp fitness um, through kettlebells. And I really enjoyed it. Um, at the end of the six weeks, we did receive a certificate that um, awarded us, quote, level one Giravoy. And I was like, cool. <laughs> at the time, I thought that was a thing. Um, <laughs> the trainer made it up, but that's okay. But I did really enjoy working with kettlebells. It was well branded. I gotta give, gotta give them credit there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. So it was the first time I will tell you who he is at some point. And he is an athlete who still competes. So, um, we can make fun of him. Um, so I really enjoyed the boot camp, but I couldn't find anything else to do with kettlebells in my area. So I did the six week boot camp a second time. Um, same boot camp, same trainer, different group of people. And once again, received my level one gear boy. And <laughs> then I purchased a couple bells and started just doing fitness workouts on my deck. Um, and within about a year, I was getting pretty tired of that and stumbled on another uh, location in Halifax. I'm in Halifax, Nova Scotia. 
where they did a kind of like a kettlebell boot camp, which seemed, you know, to be right up my alley since I've been working with kettlebells for a while. And I was like, oh, cool. There are other people who lift these things. So I did that. And uh, that boot camp was run by a person uh, named Tim Bell. Um, some Canadian lifters will know the name Tim Bell. He does compete in kettlebell sports. That's where I really learned that this thing I like to do for my workout could actually be something that you compete in. And I was like, whoa, that sounds cool. So Tim told me a little bit about it, got me training snatch a little bit, and uh, we walked me into my first competition. So that's how it kind of all came to be. And I've never been able to walk away. And how long ago was that? I think, you know, memory is a hard thing, but I think <laughs> I was now. around like 26, 27. So that would put it about 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah. And rumor, rumor has it, um, a, a little birdie told me that you recently hired a new kettlebell sport coach. I did. That rumor spread very quickly. <laughs> so I am very fortunate that um, Andrea Lavoie has agreed to start coaching me um, when I hopefully have a little bit more time to commit to kettlebell come April 1st. I'm really excited. You know, I prefer to start tomorrow, but I know if I start tomorrow, I won't be able to actually commit the time that makes sense to be training consistently. So Andrea's agreed to take me on and she knows what she's getting herself into, I think. Um, evidently she only coaches girls named Amanda is kind you, of what I'm Do you know what you're getting yourself into? I I do have a good sense and I'm really <laughs> looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. We're kidding, of course. Andrea is a great coach. You're you're going to be a great hand. It's going to be a, I, have heard, a I have heard that she really likes to make you suffer in the best possible way. Yes. She makes you very successful at suffering. She's very, very good at like redlining people right to the edge of their capability, but not pushing them over it. She's, she's fantastic at that. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, you mentioned that I curl. Um, so the, the cycle of, I don't want to say it's a problem because it's a really good problem to have, but I really enjoy kettlebell sport and I really enjoy curling. But when I'm curling, there's very little time to train kettlebell sport. So through the last six, seven years, I very consistently trained kettlebell sport from spring into summer into early fall. And then I basically put the bells down and don't pick them up again until spring. So I'm really starting from where I was before, maybe a little bit ahead of where I was the past spring, but not that far. I'm certainly not picking up where I left off. So this spring, my goal is to start and then not stop this winter to see where that progression can really take me. And I knew I wanted some, you know, expert guidance along that path. Fantastic. So yeah. you're going to have, you're going to have to forgive my ignorance around curling. I am only tertiarily familiar with it as a sport from watching it on the Olympics. It's super entertaining to watch. I have never tried it. Um, so I have no idea how actually physically taxing it is or difficult it is or skillful it is. I assume it's all of these things, but I have no idea. So can you give me, give me like the, give me like the, the, the version of explaining curling to somebody that you would give to like a high schooler, because that's probably my level of understanding. I'll do you one better. I'll give you curling for a kettlebell athlete. Oh, so think about grabbing that beautiful purple bell that we all love to lift and sliding it down a 144 foot sheet of ice. That is what curling is essentially because a curling stone weighs 42 pounds. So very similar to a bell that we'd be familiar with. Um, typical curling sheet is 144 feet, give or take with a little bit more room on the end. So you have room to move in behind. Um, have you ever watched a curling game? I have. Yeah. It's, it's super entertaining. I it's, I mean, it's, it, to me, it's like shuffleboard, but so sober, I'm assuming. Yeah. sober. You have, you have two teams. 
um, two teams of four alternating throwing. And while somebody's throwing, two people are brushing or sweeping. That's where, you know, curlers get made fun of because we do the hurry hard to try to get to the person to sweep harder and faster. Um, and you're throwing towards the target, the hosts of concentric circles. Okay. What, what does the sweeping, what does the sweeping do? Sorry to interrupt you, but I'm like, I have to ask the question before it escapes my brain. What does the sweeping do? Does it make it, does it make it, does it make it go faster or slower or does it depend on, on like, I, I don't know. I don't know what the function of the sweeping is. It both makes it go faster and can change the curl, the direction of the stone. So if you think about um, a broom, like a curling broom, which is essentially like a nylon type pad moving quickly over ice, it's creating friction. So the friction is just ever so slightly melting the ice surface, which is going to make the stone glide faster over the surface. So that's one purpose. But sweeping has really developed into a bit of an art form over the last, I'd say, five years in particular. Um, so we sweep in a certain direction, depending on the path we want the curling stone to take. So a curling stone will naturally arc down the ice or curl down the ice in the direction that it's turning. So if I turn it, say, clockwise, it's going to arc as it moves down the ice towards the right in the kind of the clockwise direction. You can sweep against the direction of the curl. So it's turning clockwise. The person on the side it's turning towards sweeps in the opposite direction and actually straightens out that curl. So it doesn't curl as much or the person on the side of the direction it's curling in can sweep and make it curl more. So it's going faster and you're changing the direction. Okay, that's super interesting. And it is interesting and it has made curling very complicated. <laughs> I was just thinking that like my brain is going through, going through the physics and like, cause there's so many dynamics there because you're not the, the sweepers are not the one who pushed the stone. So they don't know how much inherent momentum it already has other than what they can judge based on their eyes. So they didn't get and the stopwatch. We timed the rocks. Oh, really? Okay, cool. That adds another dynamic to it. That makes sense, but I didn't know that. So you can time a rock from when you first throw a rock, the very first line you cross while you're throwing the stone, it's called the back line. And the last um, line before you let go of the rock, there's a hog line. So we'll time from the back line to the hog line. And based on that split time, we'll kind of extrapolate to where that rock is going to end up. Okay. And, and when you say we, who is, who is running the, the, the stopwatch? Is that happening while, while is that happening while you're while you're sweeping? Like, does everybody have a stopwatch like on their wrist or like? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you're sweeping, you're timing. You are still using your head and guessing because if you watch enough rocks, you get a feel for how fast they're moving down the ice. And then you have somebody at the other end, the skip in the house. Those are usually the famous people. Um, we give them all the credit, but they also get all the blame when things go wrong. They are watching the rock coming towards them and they can really see if it's staying straight or if it's curling a lot. And then they'll give you the direction to sweep to make it curl more or less if needed. Okay. And so the, so the stone, the people sweeping the stone really are kind of, you know, quote unquote, in charge of judging the weight, like how fast it's going. The person that the stone is coming at is really watching the line how much it's curling or not curling okay and so i'm i'm assuming i'm assuming that the people that are in the four positions on the team especially when you start talking about high like high level curling teams you don't switch positions right you're not like going from you're not going from being the skip to being one of the sweepers right like the skip is this 
Typically, no. Okay. You will see um, teams kind of break and come back together and people might be playing different positions. But um, typically somebody who plays the front end, so throws either the first, the lead set of stones or the second set of stones, they'll usually continue to play front end. You might eventually see somebody move positions, but most of us have our niche that we like to stay in, especially at the more amateur level, which is where I'm at. Okay. And so, so what position or what position is, is your position? Um, so I play mate. So I get a little bit of the best of both worlds. So I throw third. So the lead throws the first two stones. The second throws the next two stones. I throw the third two stones, which is why I'm called the third. And then the skip throws. So when the skip, the person in the host does all the yelling, when that person is throwing, I'm in the host doing all the yelling. Nice. Yeah. So it's not as much pressure of actually calling the game and executing the strategy, but I do get to work both a little bit on the sweeping side and a little bit in the host calling the game side. So it's kind of like keeping one foot in both realms. When you're kind of the clincher then though too, right? Like if you're the, if you're the third, you're the third and then you go to that and then you go to the house to, to help, help the, the skip throw his stones, right? Like that, those are the, those are the final stones that get thrown in that, in that round. Right. So that's kind of, we can either set our skip up for success or set them up for something that we call a skips deuce, which is when everybody else has completely shit the bed, but they somehow still manage to make both of their stones count and they get a skips deuce. And what does that do? Did they just get two points on their own? We didn't really help them. Okay. Yeah. So I will say curling has changed a lot. I started playing um, when I was five years old. Um, so from that point in time, the game has changed so much. I played through high school fairly competitively, but I look at the competitive teenage athletes now versus the competitive teenage athletes when I played in high school and the level of play is just crazy now. And I don't know if it's that way with every sport, um, but I definitely see it in the curling world. Cool. All right. So, all right. So we're going to set curling a little bit to the side just because you, you gave me a nice, well, I mean, it can be, this one certainly can be. No, I definitely, (laughs) it's super interesting to me. This is my problem. Look, I I am so like infinitely curious that I could literally just chat with you about curling and ask you questions about curling for the next hour. And I would lose the audience entirely, (laughs) but I'm really, if you have any interest in curling and since he's from close to your hometown, um, try to get Matt Hamilton from Team USA on your podcast. Okay. He is is on Team USA with John Schuster. They placed fourth this year, but John Schuster has been to the Olympics five times now. Matt Hamilton is a um, self-proclaimed mustache enthusiast, um, like tattooed up like crazy hair. He has a glorious mustache. Um, carries a lucky green toque in his pocket while he curls. He's just, you know, a bit more of a character than we typically see in curling, especially at the high level, at the elite Olympic level. He is a pleasure to talk to and hear interviewed. He would be a great guest. All right. I will see if I can, I will see if I can make that happen. I have a feeling he's probably going to get a lot of interview requests after he's kind of, he's, he's pretty popular right now, but, but you've uh, got the hometown advantage. That is true. I will see what I will see. I got to find out which, which uh, curling club he, he practices <laughs> at locally and we'll see if I can see if I can make a connection. Cause that'd be, that'd be awesome. I would, I would I interrupted very... your segue, I think. Oh no, you're fine. It's fine. This is, this is, this isn't structured. 
we don't, we don't have a plan. <laughs> no, I was just, I was going to, since you alluded to, since you alluded to, you started at the age of five, I was, I was going to go back to the origin story is always something I always find interesting. Like, um, how did you, how did you grow up? How did you get into curling? And then what, like, what was your athletic background? What was your background like as a, as a kid? And then, you know, how did, how did uh, your athletic, athletic career progress? Yeah. My athletic background was almost nothing. I will say, I am not a very, you know, natural born athlete. I'm incredibly clumsy. I can tell you about some notable bone breaks, um, especially once I started playing rugby. Um, but my mom was a curler. My mom curled in um, some national competitions. Some of my earliest memories are walking down the block and watching my mom curl on the ice at our local hometown curling club when I was like five or six years old, sneaking out past my bedtime and watching curling games. <laughs> So curling, I came by very naturally. It was never a question of if I would curl, it was when I would curl. The rest of sports were, you know, a bit more of a struggle for me. I did play um, some basketball and volleyball through junior high and high school until I caught a ball to the face and broke my nose the first time. Um, I did run cross. Also catch them with your hands. I heard that afterwards. <laughs> yeah. It seems like that's probably a better approach. Yeah, um, I did run cross country and track, but that was more because um, we really didn't have many people at our school who were doing those things and they needed a couple more girls for the team, um, not through any, you know, incredible level of skill that I happen to possess, just stubbornness that I could get through a race. <laughs> and I think that stubbornness has translated well into kettlebell sport and rugby for me. Um, I'll call it resiliency. Resiliency sounds better than stubbornness. I mean, yeah, they're, they're both admirable traits. I think I'm, you know, I'm pretty stubborn myself, so I'm always, I'm always proud of my stubbornness, but yeah, resiliency is probably a better, a, a better way to frame it up, but that's, that's all, that's all good. So I, I, I have to, I have to ask, um, <laughs> I got a story handed to me from, from our, our mutual friend, Mr. Boris. Um, he, he told me at the, at, at nationals, he wasn't going to do a five minute set and you apparently decided to make sure that he did. Can you give me the details on that? Oh, I was at the lift that I did a 20. Yeah. You did a 20 kilogram, uh, you did a 20 kilogram, five minute long cycle set when untrained, oh, I, untrained is what I, is what I hear. So I've been training for a 16 kilogram long cycle that, and I have been battling on and off for many years because of the cycle I mentioned of training through the spring and summer, then stopping, then training through the spring and summer, then stopping. I've had a really hard time progressing past the 16s because I'd really like to hit my favorite number 100 um, before I progress too far past them. Um, but I had been starting to dabble in the 20s. And by dabble, I mean, do like one or two minutes. Um, but Boris was being a wimp as usual. And I thought that if I did the set with him, that it would provide some, you know, extra moral support. So I decided to do probably ill-advised, but decided to do my first um, 20 kilogram, five minute long cycle set. And it was probably the most painful thing I've ever experienced. I think I died a little bit more than him, but we both did last the five minutes, which was my primary goal. And you, I, how many reps did you hit? I have a number that oh, he told was, me. It was pretty low. I think um, maybe 32 or 33. Uh, he said you hit 40. So that would be eight he RPMs across five minutes. Okay, Matt, you're a liar. <laughs> Very much lying. I believe I was under 35. Okay. The goal, the goal was definitely 40, but I did 
not um, fully understand what those purple bells were going to do to my soul during that five minutes. <laughs> but you, but you still decided that you saw you saw a friend in need, and you're like, I will suffer with you so that we can make so that oh. we can make this make this happen. Like that's that's pretty cool. I do. I, I there was some choice words apparently about uh, about his uh, his mental fortitude prior to when he was trying to quit. But uh, I I think that nobody still- gets to quit in our kettlebell group. I will. I really admire the you know there's a lot of joking, but there's also so much support and nobody ever gets to back down from a challenge without a good reason. Of course, um, you know, we egg each other on a lot, but it all comes from a good place and all comes from a place of, I think, understanding that we all really do have pretty strong lifting abilities. It's just all that other noise sometimes. How, did I, how did I get in the group then? Like, I don't know. Best, I got in the group. Best I've ever done is rank one. Like I'm not anything impressive as a as a lifter. So I think they adopted me after a Niagara Kettlebell Sport Open. It's a very welcoming, friendly group for those who aren't familiar with Team Riddlestruck or Team Lavoy. You should be. Um, definitely look them up. They take in strays from <laughs> all corners of North America. Um, we are two of the strays talking right here, um, but they take in strays, make us feel welcome and keep us engaged in the sport. Yes, it is. It is a great, it is a great group of people. And it, I, I, I do love the culture of the iron sharpens iron you get. So you and you and Boris apparently have like a, a sibling rivalry going on and then you've got uh, how it's developed. Yeah. Yeah, you've got you've got uh, you got Lavoie and and uh, and Riddle also have kind of their own their own rivalry going on where they're always going back and forth at each other and they were they, they were pu- pushing each other to, you know, to new heights, which is which is always great. It's it's a lot. It's a lot of fun. I really I do really enjoy that. I really enjoy that dynamic. So and until I backed off lifting a bit, it kind of felt as though Sarah and Amanda, the other Amanda and I, I'm glad we're in Amanda and Amandy, um, were in a bit of a race for the 16 kilogram bells to see who was going to kind of come out on top. Um, I plan to rejoin that race very soon. Nice. Yeah. I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing you get, get back, get back under the bells and especially with, with Andrea pushing you, it's, I'm going to be very excited to see what, what's your highest rank that you've, that you've achieved in competition up, up to this um, point. So I have CMS in 20 kilogram snatch and rank one in 16 kilogram snatch and, um, CMS in 16 kilogram long cycle. No, wait, rank one in 16 kilogram long cycle. My bad. Okay. Well, when you start getting into CMS t- territory, you can't not call yourself a kettlebell athlete. I'm sorry. That was, I'm just, just, once. That was just once a long time it, ago. But it still counts. It still counts. You still, you still hit that rank. So, and what's your, uh, what's your was, favorite lift? Oh, that has changed over time. So um, when I was working, uh, training with Tim Bell out of his uh, Bell's Kettlebells facility here in Halifax, his whole group really only did snatch at first. Tim lifted snatch. We all lifted snatch. I'm not sure I actually knew there was anything but snatch, to be honest. Um, the first time I actually ever tried um, like a long cycle or even a jerk movement outside of like a fitness workout was at my first uh, Niagara Kettlebell Sport Open. There was a team relay after the event, and I was on a little team where we did um, a jerk relay. And that was my first time ever doing double bells, anything. And also my first time doing double bells jerk. And I was like, this is really cool. I like this, (laughs) um, died a little, but I liked it. 
Um, and around the same time, um, a couple of lifters from New Brunswick, which is the province next to Nova Scotia, came down to Halifax for a little in-house competition that Tim put on. And they, to me, looking back, were like these superstars busting through the door of the gym, like strutting in. They did their lifts and they were lifting long cycle and jerk and double bells, which I'd never seen in competition. And, you know, some people did snatch too. And I was like, whoa, there's this like whole kettlebell world out there that I don't know about. Um, probably makes sense that within about a year, I had enlisted Kimberly Eagles, who was one of those people that I was like, who is this Amazon on the platform? Just like killing it. <laughs> it's like this beautiful technique that makes it look so easy. I enlisted her and she fortunately adopted me and um, agreed to take me on and coach me for a couple of years. Um, and that really brought me further into the kettlebell world, so to speak, you know, it was through team platform, which is their team. And through Kimberly and Michael Eagles coaching me that I went to, you know, Ontario for my first competitions, met the Riddlestock crew, um, met Jen Hintenberger, met some really wonderful people in this world and um, kind of got further into the sport and really had it get its claws in me because I liked it before. But when I learned like how far you could take it, I started to love it. Nice. That's awesome. So my long-winded way to avoid answering my favorite. Yeah, no, I'm, no, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let you though. So I'm going to say like, so what is your favorite lift right now? I still love long cycle. I okay. hate long cycle, but I love long cycle. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. fair. That's fair. I, I understand that. What, so I'm not what, ready to abandon it yet. What, what is it that you, what is it that you love about it? Why can't you quit it? <sighs> I feel like um, it's a bit of a challenge because I want to achieve, you know, X number of reps with X weight. And then I'm like, oh, then maybe I'll go to biathlon for a while. But I know once I achieve that, I'm going to want what comes after that and what comes after that. It's like this never ending cycle. Um, I do really enjoy the double bell lift. Um, I know there's, you know, double half, half snatch, which I am not sure I have the coordination for from the few times I've tried it. Um, I've almost taken my knees out, but um, there's just something about long cycle. I don't know. It's hard to put into words. Okay. Okay. And what was what your favorite lift? I don't know this. Oh, that's a good question. And I can't really say, I, like literally I can't, I can't choose because in the same way that like it's changed over time, it, it was long cycle for a long time. Um, and then, and then I got, and then I got pretty, I got pretty heavy into, into biathlon for, for a little while. And then I, and then I really went full after triathlon. Um, and so I actually, I actually really enjoy triathlon because there is something I love and hate about each of the lifts. And I can, I can, I can enumerate what that is like in, in, in jerk. I love, I love how I I'm, I think jerk is probably my best lift. And for me, it's it, like, it, I just get to express my power. Cause I'm not, I'm cardiovascularly. I'm never, I'm never like gassed. It's really just about localized suffering and how much, how much pain can you take? And usually the answer is quite a bit. Um, so like, I like, I like that about jerk. Um, but you also don't ever get to, you don't get any relief in jerk. <laughs> so there's that, there's that part that I hate about it with snatch. Like the, it's such a fickle bitch. Like you feel like it's so pretty too. It is, but it, it's, but it, to me, it's kind of like golf. Like it's one of those things where we're like, just when you think you've got it figured out, then you start hitting the ball sideways. And then you're like, what the hell? Why can't I just 
just make this consent. Like, I don't know. Are you like, you get one, you get one that goes up so smooth and you're like, fuck that felt easy. What did I do? <laughs> so like, there's, there's so many moving pieces on snatch, but I love it. Like when you get in the flow and you get in the groove, like you can just like, I, I stop being able to count and I don't even have to count. I just like kind of get into the pocket and I love that, but it's also, it's also just a fickle to me that that lift is so detail oriented and so fickle. And then long cycle was my first love, but it also broke my heart and my back. And so it's like, it, it did football broke my back, but, um, you know, it was one of those, like, I, I, I got so obsessed with, um, with getting to a higher rank on long cycle that I trained it. I overtrained it. I went like 18, 18 plus months with nothing but long cycle. And I ended up, I ended up with some pattern overload and I ended up getting myself hurt. And then I had to step away from long cycle for a while, uh, which is probably a good thing. But, um, now, now coming, when I come back to long cycle, I don't know. I just like the cardio, the cardio component of it, uh, crushes me. Cause that's never been the strongest part of my game. Cardio has never been the strongest part of my game. So I'm always Maybe like, <laughs> yeah, I'm always, I'm always just like <laughs> when people are like, I love, I love long cycle. I'm like, doesn't it feel like your heart is going to explode and your soul is going to fall out of your butthole? Because that's how I feel. And they're like, no, no, I can't. I'm, I'm okay. Oh, no, it does. It really does. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah I, I, don't do, know. I do have to say I'm looking forward to snatching some again when I have picked up a bell over the last couple of months it usually has been snatch um I'm looking forward to having a chat with Andrea to see you know where I'm headed over the next little while um I'm I'm leaning long cycle but I don't know snatch was my first love I mean, they're not mutually exclusive. I mean, take yeah. it from me. I, I train, I train triathlon. You can, you can train all the lifts if you want to, you're just not going to progress as rapidly at any of them. If you, if you focus on, you know, multiple, but you know, that's the lift where I had, I think my biggest aha moment when it finally just clicked into peace uh, or into place. Um, I struggled with it. You know, I could, I could, I'm strong. So I could kind of muscle through for a long time. Um, but when you start working with the heavier weights, you can't muscle through a 10 minute set anymore. Nope. Um, and I was still trying, trying valiantly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I actually have a video um, saved on my phone. I think it's the only old video on my phone I haven't gotten rid of. It's from a one-on-one -on -one I did probably five years ago with Abby Johnston. Um, I did a one-on-one, -on -one, like one hour of snatch work with her. And you can actually see it on my face as she's actually like physically moving my body in the way she thinks I should be moving. You see my face go, oh, that's how I should be moving when I snatch. Mm -hmm. And that aha moment changed it entirely for me. And snatch became one of my favorite lifts for quite a while after that. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Thanks, thanks, Abby. I, I love that. I love those. I love those aha moments. I love, I love those when I see them with my, with my athletes, like you, when you get those moments where you're, you, you give somebody a, a little, a little cue or a little tweak or some, you know, some type of change and they're like, Oh, <laughs> like, Oh, this isn't, this isn't as terrible as I thought I was just doing it wrong. <laughs> And it can be something so minor. And that's one of the things I love about kettlebell sport, very similar with curling is such small adjustments can make such a substantial difference and you never stop learning. There's never nothing to do better. There's always something that you can do better. Amen. I 100 Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's the love hate thing. It is, it is absolutely one of those things that you, you there's always something to improve on. So it's never perfect. Um, but that also means you always have something to work on, which is, which is great. Cause I'm going to have lots of 
stuff to work on after not lifting for six months. <laughs> I mean, it's going to get easier at some point, right? No, no, it never does. You just get <laughs> the belts just get heavier or you do more reps. <laughs> that's, that's all that, that's all that happens. It never, I it never gets at, easier. Yeah. I work at a, at a gym and, um, often clients when they first come in, will say something like, oh, you know, everybody's been doing this for so long. It must be easy for you now. And the answer is no, it doesn't get easier. You just go harder. Yeah. You just get better, which is great. I mean, mm -hmm. if you did your old workout, yeah. It's like, if you were like, oh yeah, that, if I went back to my original workout, yes, that absolutely would be easy for me now. But what Wait, I heard allowed to go back to our old workouts. No, God, no, who would do that? interrupt this episode to announce a new sponsor for the platform podcast driven nutrition is now the official supplement company that i am affiliated with for the twin cities kettlebell club as well as for the twin cities kettlebell open in 2022 they offer a wide range of high quality supplements and i am very very excited to partner with them they are a small company that communicates really well, good customer service, and I really love the, the quality and the taste of all of their supplements. And they have uh, everything that you need basically uh, from, from Jump. You can get creatine monohydrate, high quality proteins, uh, as well as sleep aids, fish oil, um, all of the quality supplements, the, the basics, you know, the, the fundamental supplements that I recommend for, for all of my clients and for all of my athletes. So. Check it out at Driven Nutrition. There's an affiliate link in the episode notes and you can use code TCKB to get 15% off of your order. So where did, where did rugby come in? When, when did, when did rugby, uh, elbow its way into your life? Rugby was a terrible life decision in a lot of ways. <laughs> I was, Usually 30, is. yeah, I was 30 years old. I had never watched a rugby match in my life. I'm not even sure I knew a single law. I didn't know a single position. I knew like people kind of ran around a field and fell down a lot. Um, but I was kind of looking for a new activity, social thing. And it was around the same time I went back to curling because I did stop curling after high school and I joined a club again when I was about 30. Um, a friend of mine had just joined a rugby team. I was in my head, I thought it was more like a social club, like something intramural, non-contact, like flag football-ish. Um, like so our drinking team has a rugby problem type of thing? Yeah, so I went out to a field with her and it was a practice and I became a River Lake Rambler and never looked back. Three weeks later, I was in my first scrum in a game. Nice. And what position did they put you at when you started? Um, I played second row. Okay. Uh, so I was never, I was never a super skilled rugby player by any means. Um, I didn't grow up playing ball sports. I wasn't very agile. I wasn't very fast. Um, but that's one of the things I actually, I wish I had known about rugby. I wish my, you know, home community had rugby. Um, because it was the first sport I'd really played where my size and my strength were a really good thing. Um, you know, so many different positions, every position with different requirements, 
everybody was welcome. I was like, dude, this is pretty cool. Um, the Ramblers, I mean, it's a rugby club. We play against other provincial rugby teams, but as you said, a drinking team with a rugby problem, that's probably the best description of River Lake, which was my club. Um, <laughs> I quickly became part of kind of the club community, um, part of the club executive. I stayed with the club for only about four or five years. The time commitment and the level of brokenness of my body were just not worth it at a certain point to me. But um, my God, I love rugby. Still love watching rugby. I did finally learn the laws of rugby. <laughs> at what at what point did you walk away? When when did you decide enough enough pounding was enough pounding? I was about 34. Um, and it was getting to the point that, you know, I was getting a bit more serious about kettlebell sport. I was working with team platform. Um, you know, I was breaking a finger, I was bruising my sternum. It was just really impacting the other goals I had for myself. And um I stayed on as part of the kind of club exec and like social side of the club for a while even after I stopped playing I loved mini rugby we had a mini rugby club for youth um that was a lot of fun youth age like five and up teaching them to play the sport for the first time oh that's um, awesome so I stayed on a little bit um but then you know it kind of fell off your plate or your shelf I guess I've learned in my old age can only have so many things on it and my shelf usually has too much on it um, so something either had to fall off or the whole shelf was going to fall off the wall. I understand. That's a great analogy. Um, I, I, am probably going to steal that one. Cause I always use the cup analogy. I'm like, you only have so big of a cup and you can't, you can't put more, you can't get a bigger cup, but I like the shelf, <laughs> I like the shelf analogy better. Cause it feels kind of how life feels when, when you're overloaded, you're like, I'm, I'm, everything's going to just collapse on top of me if I don't. And it will. <laughs> yeah. The whole shelf will fall off. You will not be able to function at the level you need to. And I think that's, that's something I've learned. Um, you know, with kettlebell sport, I really love it. When I'm training, I enjoy it so much. I love the community, but I've never put it first. Um, it's never been my number one priority. I mean, there's work, work, because I work two jobs. And then my dog, who everybody who knows me knows I love my dog. So those are the top Low three. Loki, yes. And then it's been like kettlebell sport or curling, kind of flip-flopping in that fourth and fifth position. And I always try to manage my expectations that if it's my fourth or fifth priority, it's only going to be so good. I'm only going to excel so much unless I move it up that list. Yeah, uh, that's 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 great. That's very that's very good perspective. So for you, um, curling, curling, you've you've toggled between curling and and kettlebell um are you going to continue curling is that is that part of the plan and like how long how long can you curl like i'm assuming you can curl for most of your life but i may... curl until you're not alive anymore okay yeah is that the, is that the plan for you keep curling well, oh yeah um you know in the last couple of years curling has been a focus my team has repped nova scotia my province twice at our nationals in um, 2018. And then this year, about three months ago in 2021, we were at nationals. Um, and with those two events coming up, and then of course, COVID in the middle, it was really, you know, curling has been my focus through the last while, and I'll certainly continue to curl. Um, but when you're getting ready for say a national competition, you're not just heading out on the ice once a week and biffing some rocks and drinking a beer. Um, the time commitment was a little bit more, but I don't think I have any competitions around the corner. So it might be just heading out on the ice 
once a week and biffing some rocks and having a beer and then focusing on kettlebell sport a little bit more. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, I'm curious. Cause you, you know, when we were talking before, you're like, I am not an elite level curler, but you're talking about, you represent your province and then you've been to nationals and your team did well at nationals. So like how far removed are you from, and I'm, how far removed are you from being an elite level curler? Because like, I don't, I don't know what the gap is between like representing at nationals and doing well there as opposed to qualifying for the Canadian Olympic team. Like, I don't, I don't know what the gap is there. There are sort of like two tiers of curling in Canada, at least. I'm not sure what it's like in the States. Um, there are the, you know, professional athletes um, who do this as more of like a career who are competing to be at the Olympics in the worlds and in Canada, at least to the um, men's national championship, it's called the Briar. The women's is called the Scotties. Um, like going to those events is this huge thing, like every curler in this country would love to represent for me as a female at the Scotties or at the Briar. But there's this level just below that. That's more of like a grassroots curling level where there's still a national program um, that fosters kind of club level, more grassroots level curlers to have something to compete for, something to strive for. So none of us are doing this professionally. None of us are touring. None of us are competing to wear the maple leaf on our back, but it's still a national. You compete out of your province. So there are going to be 14 teams at the national and you do compete to be the national curling club championship uh, or champion, which is kind of distinct from the Briar and the Scotties. It's like tier one. And then this is like tier two curling. I call it for curling for people who need to have a life. Like we need to have careers. We have families. We have other stuff on the go. We can't be on the ice five or six days a week and traveling several times a month, if not more. Um, it's a really accessible level. Um, we were really fortunate. The event looked like it was going to go disappear after we lost our um, title sponsor, but a new title sponsor has taken it over. And they've really kind of, you know, started to shepherd in this new era where we have some really big name curlers. I know that's an oxymoron to some people, um, <laughs> but like Jennifer Jones, who is at the Olympics this month, um, and Randy Furby and Cheryl Bernard, they're this executive committee who are working on this national event to make it a really like killer experience. And having been there, a couple months ago, I can say it was a really great national experience. So elite level, questionable, um, not just recreational though. Cool. Okay. So I, I, I under, I understand a lot better now. So I'm, I'm basically there's and correct me if this is making it too reductive, but like the, this tier two is basically the, the amateur level, which is still serious. Like if you're at the top level of the amateur, you're still pretty serious about it, but you're not, it's not professional where like the, the, the tier one is kind of the professionals, the people that are doing that, like curling is their life. And that's what, like, that's what they do. Tier two is tier two is like amateur, but still serious. Like it's a big part of their life, but they're, that's not their entire life. That's kind of, kind of what it's so the only reason the professional term is so tough with curling is at least in Canada, very few people do curling as their job. Almost everybody has a full-time career. They just make the ultimate sacrifice of time and family and everything to still curl at that elite level. Um, but yeah, it's like curling with a life. 
Yeah, it's yeah. That's I mean that's the the downside of being in a niche sport, right? Like I've I've I've, I've had I've had people ask me like, well, you really love this kettlebell sport thing. Like, why don't you just do that for a career? And I'm like, I would love to. I'm like, ha, 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 because I have kids and they need to eat food. <laughs> yeah, if you find a way to make money doing just kettlebell sport, please let me know. Yeah, that would be that would be fantastic, right? But uh, I don't say I would be the best with unlimited time to train, but it would certainly help. It definitely it definitely would help all of us. I think it's uh, and I think that is one of the one of the challenges. Like you know, I always talk about the the sweet spot. You got to find the sweet spot of the things that you really love and that the rest of the world values because people are probably not going to pay to watch me suffer through a ten minute set, and that's okay. I understand that. I don't even ask my wife to watch for free. I know about 10 people who would watch you pay to suffer through a 10 minute set. I think we're all in this Facebook chat group. <laughs> yeah. And they would all put up $5. <laughs> you could buy a pizza. Yeah. Yeah. Which I would definitely need after, after that. Always, always. So what, what is your, what is your, your favorite post lift nosh speaking of, cause it's oh. dinner, it's dinner time here. So getting home. Oh hungry. my goodness. Um, so I eat a lot, like a lot. I can eat a ton of food. It's a, it's a little shocking. Um, pizza is a really good one, but um, Indian food. I love oh. Indian food after a lift or after a competition. I would never want Indian food the night before a competition. Oh, but the night after, <laughs> yeah, the night after, I would love some good Indian Okay. I like that. That, that is not an answer I've heard before. I, I like, I like that a lot. I love Indian food. So I, I definitely like that. And yes, you're good call on not the night before, but night after, before. after the lift, after the lift is over. Yeah. I could definitely, I could definitely crush some Indian yeah, food. But you know what? I could probably crush anything after a lift is over. Actually, oh I think one of my last events that I actually lifted at was at a, a CrossFit gym locally here. And it happened to be down the street from an Ikea. So after our lifts were done, we went and we got Ikea hot dogs and uh, soft serve. All like, right. Not like, not like after the event was done, like we walked off the platform, changed our shoes and went and got hot dogs. <laughs> and then we came back and watched everybody else compete. All right. I like it. That's uh, that is a new one. I like, <laughs> I like that a lot. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's great. Um, so I have a, I have a, uh, another question and this is, this is more around because again, I don't know how challenging curling is like, how would you compare it f- uh, across the, cause you've competed in some pretty hard sports physically, how physically challenging is, is curling? It's, um, much shorter bursts of energy. So you're really looking at like fast twitch energy instead of, you know, kettlebell sport. And which energy system does that tap into? No, don't make me do the energy systems. That was earlier today. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I know you've been, you've been studying for 12 hours and I'm quizzing you. I don't think we've mentioned this on air, but I'm, or on uh, recording, but I'm studying for my personal training certification. So my brain is on a little bit of overload right now, but you know, curling, it's short intervals. It's bursts of energy. So sweeping, I mean, sweeping really sucks. It's hard. You are moving fast down a piece of ice, trying to keep your balance, putting all your pressure over the broom, trying to move your feet and move your arms in like a broom stroke at the same time, but it's only 20 seconds and it's done for a few minutes. 
And the other side of it is really um, flexibility and mobility to be able to get into that sliding and throwing a rock position. I'd say flexibility is probably my biggest challenge for that. Um, so in terms of like, just like grit and endurance, um, definitely, you know, kettlebell sport, rugby require more of that, but curling, it's a lot of, you know, short bursts of energy. It's a lot of leg strength to push out of the hack and push your stone because as much as your first instinct, when you get on the ice for the first time is just to shove that stone with your arm, that is going to change the line, change the rotation. It's going to just not be a good stone if you're curling at a competitive level so you're pushing with your leg entirely the leg that you're pushing out of the hack which is the thing you push out on to slide down the ice um it's very specific flexibility and strength whereas kettlebell sport and rugby seems to be just like overall full body go as hard as you can for 10 minutes and try not to die yes uh that is a good that's a good summary. That is a good summary of that. So the the injury question is um have you ever gotten in, have you ever gotten injured curling? I have. And um, and what what were those injuries? Injury or injuries? Have you been given a preview of any of my recent injuries from curling? No. Oh, okay. This so was I a completely can... off the cuff question. I was just I was just curious because I like I know the damage that I took playing American football. I know the damage <laughs> I took playing playing rugby. Um, and you know, but I, I don't, I, I can't, I can imagine myself trying to curl and being like, I would break my butt. I would break a wrist. I would like, I would fall. I would like tear a hamstring. Like, you know, I'm just going through all of the things that would make curling hard for me. And so I was like, I'm curious, like what? <laughs> so I did come home from nationals in, um, December with a black eye from curling which is not your common experience, um, but it wasn't from actual gameplay. I mentioned earlier when we were chatting that I'm a little bit clumsy. We played our semifinal. Um, we lost on the last shot of our semifinal. So at the very, very end um, oh. and it was okay. It was fine. We're still going to be playing in bronze medal game. Um, we're walking off the ice and it was a really great game. Um, so the folks who were there watching were clapping for us and, you know, cheering both teams. I was the first person coming off of the ice and I tripped and slammed the end of my broom into my eye socket and gave myself a black eye, um, a massive swollen black eye, which I then had for both the bronze medal game and the award ceremony and banquet. So that's kind of a curling injury. I, I don't think, I don't think it counts as being clumsy when you do it on ice. I feel like, I feel no, like I was, that's an environmental. I was going up carpeted stairs. <laughs> I tried I just, to give you a pass. You could have you just you could have just been like, "Yep, you're right." No, nope. there's no pass. There's video. There was press. It's um, it's well documented. Um, but actual curling injuries, you know, without actually falling down, which does you know happen from time to time, although not as much when you've been doing it for a while. It's really just overuse injuries. I find um, your knee, um, the knee that you slide on when you're delivering a rock takes, you know, it takes a lot of pressure. Um, and there's a lot of torque depending on like how much you turn your foot out when you're sliding. So that knee that you slide on, um, is definitely prone to injury, um, low back when you're sliding, you hyperextend the other hip. It's just a lot of overuse injuries. Um, and then, um, your forearms and your wrists from sweeping the pressure on the broom. But in terms of like, you know, comparing it to rugby, 
or comparing it to football, um, you're not going to typically see that like impact injury in curling unless something goes terribly wrong. Unless I was trying to do it, then I would fall and break a wrist because I'm <laughs> I'm clumsy yeah. and I would be on ice. So outside of falling, outside of falling, yeah. Outside of falling. And okay. No matter what your level, you still fall. It happens. I wish it didn't, but man, it happens. And it's a game played on ice. Like you're gonna fall. I'm sorry. Just, yeah, that's true. That's very true. Um, there's a very notable video circulating the internet of the team that is currently representing Canada, the men's team at the Olympics. Their skip. Um, a few years ago, he was playing here locally and he fell like directly on top of a rock and gave himself a black eye, like on the ice and the stone. So, you know, even at the most elite levels, it's ice They're moving quickly. It can happen. Yeah. But definitely right. some overuse injuries. And if you aren't flexible enough, it will show and come back to haunt you. Okay. How about, how about rugby? Any, any, uh, any war wounds from the, from the old rugby days? I did tear a uh, tear my hip labrum um, while I was playing. Um, and that has been, you know, an injury that has haunted me since. Yeah. Um, um, probably another factor in why I stopped playing, I guess. Uh, but just, you know, small stuff like a finger, um, my nose, um, bruised ribs, bruised sternum, um, sprained ankles or rolled yeah. ankles. Nothing Table stakes to play the game. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so this is no serious serious question here because you're you're regardless of what of what you will say, um, you are a high level athlete across a number of disciplines, and you probably have some some insight to bring to bear about what what do you think it really takes to to be successful at any athletic endeavor at a high level? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, to answer, I would probably look at what I think I've been lacking when I'm not successful, which is commitment and consistency. Um, sure, there's skill. Sure, there's some innate ability. Um, sure, there's great coaching. Um, there's technique, but working at it, putting in the time, um, making the sacrifices for it, um, whether that's time or financial, because we all know that Competing doesn't come cheap, um, even in something that only requires a couple of kettlebells. There's the shoes, the belt, the travel, the coach, the this, the that. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I'd say commitment and consistency are my kind of number one and number two. I'm not sure which one would be number one and which one would be number two. Same thing with curling. If you want to be good at curling, you got to spend time on the ice. You have to be out there. You can watch curling. You can talk about curling, but you have to go curl. Mm. Got to get reps in. No matter what it is you do you need to lift the things up and put the things down i like it that's great yeah and i can work on you know my overall fitness um working at a gym i try to work on my overall fitness but that's only going to translate to a certain degree into success in kettlebell sport because there is so much technique involved there's such nuanced movement movement patterns that my body needs to just innately understand and general fitness is never going to give me that yeah, that specific adaptation to impose demands thing is is unfortunately very, very true and real. And it's like I will say, like over time, your body certainly does have muscle memory. You know, having curled since I was age five, you always think we usually leave in Nova Scotia, we stop curling mid-April. And typically by the time a club gets ice in again, because it's really expensive to make ice in the summer. Um <laughs> typically it's like 
late September-ish by the time we're getting on the ice for the first time. So it's a solid like half year gap. And when you slide for that first time, no matter how much you warm up, how much you stretch, you're like, oh, this is gonna hurt. But it doesn't hurt as much as you think. So you're like, I guess my body really does know how to do this. Yeah, there's those neural pathways are there. I'm like, once they're there, it's just a matter of reactivating them. It's I like, hope they're there for long cycle. I really hope they're there. <laughs> they're there. You're and you're a good athlete. You don't give yourself enough credit for being the, the caliber of athlete that you are, frankly. Yeah, thank you. I will accept the compliment, which I normally don't do. <laughs> <laughs> that's a trend. There's a lot of there's a lot of people that don't accept compliments well, but that's okay. I, I'm not going to stop giving them because I think it's I think it's important because you you really you are you are a very good athlete. It's very impressive the the breadth of your the breadth of your of your skill. I'm curious. Um, I'm curious. What do you think it looks like for you? Now that you're you're thinking about not stepping away from the bells and curling at the same time, what does that look like come September, November next year when the ice comes in and you've you've been kicking ass at kettlebells for for four or five months and now it's time the ice is in and you're and you're ready to you're ready to do both. What does that look like? I think without a national looming two months away, which is what the last really two full seasons post and pre-COVID have been for me without a national looming going, I need to be on the ice every night I can. I need to be playing on weekends. I think that it's just, you know, a night away from the bells. And if I'm looking to train sports specific three times a week, one night that I'm not doing kettlebell sport is not going to make it or break it now, but three or four nights that I am committed to curling and not doing kettlebell sport would break it. Um, like most people I know who do kettlebell work um, and are competing day job, Monday to Friday, you know, eight to five for me. And then I work part-time at a gym. So that's usually a couple evenings a week and a weekend day. So that leaves fairly limited um, time for recreation. So that's why it's always been an either or for me. Um, I'm moving into a new role at work, which I'm hoping is going to let me commit less hours to it. And then by only having, you know, one night a week of curling, instead of trying to be on the ice three or four times a week, I should be able to manage the trade-off better than in the past. And my commitment to myself, and I'll say this to the world, I'll say this to you, I'll say this to Team Riddlestruck, I'll say this to Andrea, hold me to it. If you see me disappearing from the group chat again in October, call me out. All right. Deal. I mean, I can, I can hold you to that for sure. What, I may what regret are, it. <laughs> no, that's all right. That's what accountability partners are for. I have is getting some more kettlebells to Nova Scotia. My gosh, shipping is expensive out here. Oh yeah, that yeah. I wish I had a. I wish I had a solve for you there, but that's just the the, <laughs> the reality of living in Nova Scotia and the constrained supply chain right now. Unfortunately, there really is. Yeah. So what? So what is your what is your goal for kettlebell sport when you're when you think forward? you think forward six months, like, what are you, what are you really, what are you really uh, hoping to achieve now that this is going to be like, your? I mean, you're saying this is going to be kind of the first time in, in many years where you're mm-hmm. making it the, the top priority of your not work and other com- life commitments. Uh, what, what are you, what are you aiming for? Um, I'd love to throw a number out there um, first, but I think my first aim is really to nail in my technique. I know that when I watch my lifts, 
because I, of course, record every training, um, when other people watch my lifts, even things I've posted on um, social media, I can see, you know, the small things that I really need to fine tune. I'm hoping that lifting more consistently will give me an opportunity to do that along with feedback from a coach. I know that when um, I was being coached by Team Platform, um, I made like far more improvements than I ever would have been able to on my own. So I'd really like to just be that lifter you look at and go, man, that looks like smooth. Um, but I love numbers. So I'm still chasing hundred with the 16s long cycle. Um, 90 um, was, oof, I wanna say, when was that last fall for me? I finally hit 90. So I'd really like to hit hundred with the 16s. And I'd really like to survive a 10 minute set of 20 uh, long cycle. I don't have a rep count in mind. Survive is the key word. Well, if you can hit a hundred with the 16s, uh, 70 with the twenties is, is, is in, is in, is in the realm of possibility, 60 to 70. And that's, that's, uh, that's not fucking about like that's, that's, that's some serious output. I do, but I'm, I don't know how much this really factors into, um, how we perform as kettlebell sport athletes, but the percentage of the bells to my body weight is so much less than a lot of other people I know lifting that I feel like I should be able to lift more. Don't shoot on yourself. It's not a good, not a good look. Trust me. But I'm like, I like being strong. I like being big, but I'm like, man, these bells shouldn't be as heavy for me as they should be for that person. But they are, they truly are. Bells are very humbling. You're talking to, you're talking to somebody who's in the super heavyweight category. And I still, I still lift twenties and twenties and 24s when I'm healthy. And I'm, right now I'm on 16s and I can't, I'm not cleared to go overhead right now. So like. Healthy is the important part. Healthy is so important. So healthy is that's, important. Why, that's why technique, I think has to be my first focus. I have to make sure I'm doing it right. Um, I have to make sure that I have the mobility to, Non-kettlebell nope. injury. I just want to put that on the record. Non-kettlebell injury. This is not oh, a kettlebell yeah. injury. I don't have any kettlebell injuries. I don't think I've ever had a true kettlebell injury other than really slamming a finger once. Yeah, um, I've lost I've lost a fingernail or two, but that's that's yeah. not that's not the bell's fault. No, that's our fault. Um, <laughs> so I'd really like to chase a hundred with the sunshine bells. I'd really like to last 10 minutes under those 20 kilogram monsters. Um, and I do Andrew want to have you doing that in like three months, famous last words. And I do want to explore what, you know, biathlon or snatch might look like to introduce again, because my God, like sometimes I just really like kettlebell snatch and I never thought I'd say that. I love it. I love it. Yeah. All right. La- last question. Cause I'm going to be respectful of your time and people, loyal listeners know what the question is. If you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, starting your kettlebell sport career, what would that piece of advice be? I knew this was coming and I still didn't prepare an answer. <laughs> um, and I'm like the most like methodical OCD person about stuff like this that you could probably find, but I still don't have a good answer. Um, I think for me, I didn't know what a journey it could be back then. Like I had no idea where kettlebell could take me, the people I was going to meet, the experiences I would have. Um, 
I would tell myself to throw myself into it more. I wasn't broken. I had more energy. I had more disposable income. I had more time. I would have gone like full force right from day one instead of being like, oh yeah, I do this boot camp once or twice a week. I would have just thrown myself into it right away. I love that answer. I, that is an answer that resonates with me. I would totally echo that. Uh, that I love, I love that answer. That's great. Thank you for that. Well, Mandy, thank you very much for taking the time and, and joining me. I really, I really, really appreciate it. Um, if people, if you want to, if you want to share your Insta handle where people can follow you or how do they, how do they see your progress? Um, feel, feel free to do so. How do people get at you? So I have two Instas. Um, one is public for um, posting mostly kettlebell videos, which is at mandy.kbell. Um, and then the other one has mostly dog pictures, which is at MandyMG. Mandy oh yeah, I'm totally, I'm totally a liar. I, I, I forgot to ask about Loki because I love Loki. So you have to tell people, how did you, how did you come about uh, acquiring such an awesome example of dog beastness? Uh, dog beastness is right. So I have a four-year-old German I say German Shepherd Rescue. He looks like a German Shepherd. DNA tests prove he's actually mostly cattle dog. Um, I was fostering dogs about three years ago, and so was a friend. I went for a hike with her and her foster dog, Lowkey, um, L-O-W-K-E-Y, like Lowkey, and um, fell in love with him. So I decided her foster dog should be my dog, and I adopted him tweaked the name to Loki, which is much more suitable for him. The Norse, the Norse god of mischief. Yeah, it was around that time that I actually stopped working with Team Platform. Um, I didn't have time to commit anymore, so um, I stopped being coached. And um, Loki kind of ruined my life for a few months. We didn't sleep. We had no schedule. I was exhausted. Um, but he is truly the love of my life. He has been hit in the face with a kettlebell more times than I care to count because he's very curious about lifting. Um, I would those think videos, he would stop being curious after the second or third whack with the kettlebell. Those <laughs> videos you are on Instagram on my mandy.kbell account um, because of course I'm recording my set so it gets recorded when I hit him in the face. Um, but he's become a great little training partner. He curls up on his bed in the corner when I'm doing workouts and he has this innate sense of when I'm done and I slam the bells to the ground, collapse panting and he comes over and licks my face and we have a great time. So he's, he's been um, definitely, you know, uh, a time hog in terms of time I could be spending training, but I wouldn't train him for the world. Yeah. Awesome. Well, cheers to a training partner that you will let lick your face. I guess. <laughs> Who wants to lick your face? Oh, that too. <laughs> Andy, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And I cannot wait to see what you do uh, under Andrea's watchful eye and what Dude, is. I have no idea. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. I have no doubts about that. So thank you very much. Great. Thank you so much, Jordan. Of course. All right. Good evening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Platform Podcast. We'll be back with a new episode soon. Please be sure to leave a rating and review of the platform podcast in your app of choice, support our work by supporting our affiliates. And of course, if you have questions or you want help reaching your goals, reach out to me till next time. Thanks for listening.